Life, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am excited to have this guest in the lounge with me today, Dan Guzman. Dan is an Air Force senior enlisted leader and is currently the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the 92nd Refueling Wing at Fairchild Air Force Base in Washington State. What's up, brother? How you doing, brother? Good to be here today on a, on a nice and warm 30 degree Saturday morning here at Fairchild. But always good. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to have you on. I know um, we've talked about it for a little bit and we finally got connected. And man, I'm just real excited, man. And you just um, took over a new job, man. How's everything going with that? Everything's going great. I mean, the, the transition, as always, you know, it's a transition, you know, for my myself, uh, wife at home, the, our three kids, you know, always some adapting has to take place, you know, new weather, new, new, uh, new neighbors, new friends, new environment to, uh, to get used to coming from Germany, from headquarters, you safety. Yeah. Uh, but so far, so good. The community here is great. We have a phenomenal team here uh, at Team Fertile of, uh, you know, senior NCOs, NCOs, our airmen, you know, our, our family, our community here is phenomenal. So I can't complain. Yeah, that's what's up, man. And and you know what? I've been wanting to tell you this for a while. Um, last time we saw each other was at the USAFE SEL Summit, right? And at Ramstein. And I was filling in. I remember I was filling in for Steph Cates as um, the command that. chief. Yeah. And I think I kind of brought it up to you, but something you said to me really helped me out. And I remember um, I was there and I was filling in the command chief, but I'm the only one without a star on my arm, right? And there was some <laughs> imposter syndrome going on. I was like, man, do I belong here? You know, and then I got up and gave my brief for the 52nd fighter wing. And I remember you came to me and said, you belong here. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a mentorship comes in so many forms, bro. And I got to tell you that, you know, I really appreciate your mentorship and just saying that, you know, how much that energized me and, and changed the trajectory for that entire week for me, man. I, I've been forever grateful for that. And it's something I still remember. I remember telling you, yeah, you belong here because I remember seeing you speaking, how you presented yourself. And I was like, he's probably thinking, what am I doing here? I'm a, I'm a squadron level chief, like all these Comanches, yada, yada. But I'm like, hey, this guy belongs in this stage. This room is not too big. The stage is not too big for him. Uh, look at him go do his business. And I had to tell you that, you know, facts. I had to state facts uh, and let you know, because you were probably thinking, you know, I, I was in a similar boat when I first arrived in USAFF Africa as a command first sergeant where you're, you're in the room. Uh, with all these command chiefs, you know, as, as coming up in the Air Force, you know, even as a chief, you still say, you know, these command chiefs, you know, uh, it could easily get to you think, oh, they're bigger than life. You know, they're, they're, they're you know, top 1% of the top 1%, yada, yada. It gets in your head. Yeah. Um, but then you get in that room and you start talking, you start meeting them, working behind the scenes with them. You realize, you know, they have as many questions as I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on their, on their journey, you know, learning, growing, or finding themselves as leaders. Um Etc. But seeing you in that room, I I thought, I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like, this guy's legit. He belongs here. This stage is not too big for him. Actually, he's just right. You know, if anything, it's too small for him. Uh, And I had to tell you that. I had to pass that on to you. But uh, you're doing your thing. I'm a big fan, I can say. I've been watching you from the sidelines here. And uh, it's good to see you continue your your leadership journey, continue to grow and to refine yourself 
as an executive leader here in the Air Force. Man, that really means a lot, bro. And like I said, during that week, it really, really put me on the right trajectory and just just those words from you. So I'll forever be grateful, like I said, but um, appreciate it. And I'm really grateful that you're on the show today because like I said, I've wanted you on here uh, and we're going to talk about some amazing stuff. But before we get too far, man, I had a question for you, man. So you're in my home state. So, so <laughs> you know, I'm from the other side, though. You know, I'm from the, uh, the west side. Yeah, yeah, I'm from the west side. So, but I was wondering, how's things over there with the COVID environment in the, you know, the Fairchild, Spokane area and how, how are you guys getting after it over there? Actually, they had a big spike right before we got here, right as we got here back in December. And uh, I think the east side of the state's recovered pretty well, actually. Our numbers are getting better and better. Uh, we recently went into uh, Washington's uh, phase two. So we're seeing more things open up now. You could actually go have dinner now inside a restaurant or, or a food venue. And, uh, you know, they have capacity set in, 25% capacity. Um, our fitness center, you know, on base has been open. Hopefully things continue to improve as we move into the spring and summer. And uh, we get, you know, our economy back going here in our local community. But uh, so far, uh, I'm optimistic and uh, things are looking up. And hopefully they remain that way and we can get out of this, you know, COVID cloud or storm, whatever you want to call it, uh, as we go on to the spring and summer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that, bro. And uh, and now we got to get into it, man. Whenever we have a first time guest in the lounge, man, we ask that they share their story as we find that, you know, we can often glean a lot of knowledge and wisdom from the experiences of others. So we're hoping we share, man. How did uh, Dan Guzman become the man he is today? How did I end up here? I, I often ask myself that if I was talking <laughs> to somebody. Uh, I was talking to a, an airman earlier this week. Uh, you know, I, I meet so many people in this job, and I just I'd like to just approach people, talk to them, pick their brains, and you know, hear the story. Everybody has a great story to tell. You know, everybody has a, an individual story, but I, like, I shared mine, and I was telling them, you know, 23 years has gone by quickly. Uh, mm. You blink, you close your eyes, you open them up, and next thing you know, you're sitting at Fairchild. You know, sitting in a DB room and, and lodging with protocol they're setting up and like oh, what am i doing here i'm the command chief like how did this happen <laughs> um but humble beginnings right uh, i was born and uh, we spent the first part of my life in the dominican republic uh, in the caribbean a third world country um you know obviously there's challenges economical you know uh, corruption crime etc uh, you have it all there but there's a lot to be learned when you grow up in that environment right um so you appreciate things uh that we have here in america uh, when you grow up in a, in a country uh, with a lot of challenges to say the least. Um, grew up there, uh, we, my, we, myself, uh, my mother, uh, my two younger siblings and myself, we immigrated to Miami, Florida in 1989. Mm. Um, my mom was wanted a better life for us. Uh, she, you know, the Dominican Republic had limited options. Uh, she she kind of lost hope or trust that things were gonna get better there uh, with the government, with, you know, economically, et cetera. Uh, power outages were, were a constant thing over there, you know, water being out. I remember plenty of time having to take a bath in, in the backyard with a bucket because we didn't have running water, power being out, et cetera. So, but those are little things, little experiences that kind of, you know, build you up for what's next, what's coming next. Anywho, we grew up there the first 11 years of my life. We moved to Miami, Florida in 1989. Um, my dad was kind of in and out of the picture. You know, he was trying to do his thing back in the Dominican Republic, run a business and all that, make enough money to help support us. Um, but basically, we were a single single parent home, single parent family, uh, for just about all of my, you know, a big part of my youth. So, uh, grew up in Miami. Uh, great place to grow up. If you know, every seems like nobody in Miami is from Miami. A lot mm -hmm. of us are, are, are 
coming from other countries, South America, the Caribbean, uh, up north, you name it. Every part of the world ends up in Miami, it seems like. So it, it gave me a, I think it was a great experience growing up there. It just opens you up to so many cultures, uh, diversity and inclusion. You know, that's, that's pretty much Miami. It's a huge melting pot. Mm. Uh, and my family, you know, you look at it now, um, a lot of my family members, my sister is married to a Peruvian, you know, gentleman. My brother-in-law is Peruvian, you know, so our kids, my nephews are half Dominican, half Peruvian. Mm. Um, my brother's married or, you know, is in a relationship with somebody from Chile. So uh, it's just like a like a Latin American United Nations, in essence, my house. You know, I have yeah. Cuban cousins. I have Puerto Rican cousins. I have uh, half Colombian cousins. It's just it's awesome. Um, but it exposes you to culture, different cultures, different ways of life. Uh, different foods, different music. So you get exposed to so much growing up in South Florida. Um, and I look back, you know, and I'm proud. I, I am tell people, you know, I'm blessed to be Dominican. I'm proud of being born in the Dominican Republic and, and I claim my American heritage with pride. Uh, but I'm also extremely blessed to call my, to call South Florida home, mm -hmm. to call Miami home. And I always represent uh, my hometown, the 305 Miami. And, um, and I look back on those experiences there and it, open, it just opens you up to so much and it helped, you know, it just, uh, helps you to appreciate America even more coming from a third world country, uh, coming from the Caribbean and the Dominican Republic. Uh, but grew up in Miami. Um, long story short, you know, completed middle school, high school there. Uh, after high school, I attended college for a semester, uh, junior college, uh, Miami-Dade North Community College. Uh, and I was working odd jobs to make ends meet. I had to help my mom. I was the oldest, oldest of three. So I've been working basically since I was 16 years old, you know, dead end jobs, part-time jobs here and there. Um, remember finishing high school and kind of like, all right, I guess I'm going to try junior college, see how this goes. And meantime, I work at Walmart. Uh, I was picking up shopping carts. That was part of my job. I worked layaway and I picked up shopping carts out uh -huh. in, the, in the elements. Um, but those jobs, you know, that help you appreciate office life when you, you know, later on, but, um, just working out jobs, kind of like my life. I feel like it was, you know, a couple of months in after high school, I was like, man, what am I doing? I'm not, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I think, you know, I can barely put gas in my car. Remember one time I got I was in school in college and coming out of the parking you know to my car and the gas the tank was completely empty my mm. car, my car was pretty pretty much out of gas basically out of gas the engine wouldn't even turn and I had to walk home to eight miles from Damn. from junior college <laughs> and uh, now I run eight miles now and they was like oh that wasn't too bad but you know at the time I was like man I got to walk and, you know street shoes eight freaking miles home <laughs> like someone's got to give I got enough of this mess uh, so I decided you know talking to my uncles who were retired Navy and they kind of recruited me into the Air Force like hey if you want to join the service go talk to the Air Force hmm. uh, recruiter or go talk to the Coast Guard individual but the Air Force got my attention I went and talked to them and it was probably the easiest recruiting job I ever had to do they didn't have to sell me a whole lot the only thing I asked for for uh, asked the recruiter for uh, Tech Sergeant David Angleton was his name mm -hmm. was for uh, an office job because I was tired of working outside and, uh, <laughs> and for uh, an Air Force uh, Aim High t-shirt, it has some t-shirts and swag. I said, hey, can I get like a t-shirt or something or some stickers? Nice. And uh, he's like, yeah, sure. I got some left here. Here you go. Uh, but I was an easy recruit. Uh, I came in, open admin, like, hey, I just want an office job. I'm tired of being outside in the heat and the sun. Um, and luckily enough, I didn't get like a full-blown office job, but I got something close enough, which is uh, material management or supply. Hmm. Uh, so I'll be working in a warehouse. I'll be going outside now and then, you know, driving the forklifts and whatnot. But for the most part, he kept his word. I got an indoor job, basically. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's been off to the races ever since. This is—I uh, remember enlisting and, and we're signing up in February of 1997, and I was off to basic training in April of 97. 
and it's been off to the races, man, ever since. Uh, ever since. Uh, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about the military and the Air Force in general is it doesn't matter where you started from, you know, where your background mm -hmm. is. I mean, at least in my opinion, you know, uh, you know right. what you're. If you were a C student in, in high school, like I was, uh, those things really pass your ASVAB score, pass your ASVAB test, which in my case it took. Uh, Two attempts to pass the ASVAB, but I didn't score high enough the first time I took it, so I had to refire. So that was the first note of adversity. Like, hey, <laughs> you got to go back, refire, and get this ASVAB. Get your get your 40 or above on your ASVAB. And I got that done. I barely, you know, I got a 45, so I was good enough to get in the door. Um, and you're off to the races, right? Basic training. You know, how hard are you willing to work? What's your attitude like? Um, so I made it a point, you know, to to uh, appreciate the opportunity to humble myself before that opportunity. And to, and to run it out. Um, I told you I worked multiple jobs before coming into the Air Force. I've been fired from opportunities from jobs for you know lack of attitude, lack of work ethic. Um, and, I, and I know what that's like to get fired from a job, to come home and tell your mom like, hey, I got fired, I lost my job, I can't help you with money, I gotta figure something else out here job-wise. Uh, been there, done it, right? Been fired, been worked at dead-end jobs, worked the graveyard shift at, at places like Winn-Dixie stocking shelves. Mm. Uh, Worked warehouse work at a, at a place called Service Merchandise, you know, pulling property from the shelf. Having gone through all those little things, it helps you appreciate the opportunity the Air Force provides. So getting into basic training, um, my goal was like, hey, I'm not going to leave anything on the table here. I'm going to, you know, work my butt off, uh, stand out, and I let them know that, I mean, you know, that I want to be here, that I want to do well. So early on to basic training, I picked up to be an element leader, and all the things that TIs pointed out I was like, hey, you you actually have some fire in you and some pep and some leadership that you're showing us. Uh, so here you are, you know, I'm 18 years old and I'm, I'm telling a 26 year old and I had some people in my flight that were like air national guard and they were older yeah. mm -hmm. uh, people getting recycled into my flight. And I had to coach them through basic training and it was kind of a weird feeling, but that's the air force. You know, that if you show leadership, if you show aptitude for, for helping others, uh, you'll find yourself in charge sooner or later or in a position of, of you know, influence sooner or later. Uh, so that was the first lesson and you know, come in here, show the right attitude, the right work ethic. Uh, and the good things will happen for you, right? You'll stand out from the pack. Uh, and if you pay it forward, if you influence others to be better, uh, good things will keep coming. So basic training went through that tech school, um, got it all done, uh, did well, you know, at both and off to my first duty station at Shaw Air Force Base where um, got there, you know, Coming from Miami, Florida, showing up in Sumter, South Carolina, it's a whole different world, right? <laughs> right? Um, so those first couple of months were a little rough. You get homesick. You, you know, nobody talks like you. Nobody, you know, in some cases looks like you. You're kind of trying to figure out your way to this Air Force thing, uh, and it can be rough. But you know, like most folks, you you leverage on the people. You know, you, you lean on the people to your left and your right. Um, you find some homeboys from from Miami, and you kind of gravitate towards that. So Shaw, yeah, first duty station, you know, great things there. You know, I was part of the base honor guard. Uh, got picked up for below the zone. Uh, met my wife there. Mm. Uh, we've been married uh, now since 2002. So uh, coming up on a uh, on 19 years uh, wow. this summer. Wow! Congratulations, and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. A lot of good things came out of there. Um, Got picked up for staff sergeant shortly before leaving Shaw. Multiple deployments out of there, TDYs, et cetera. A lot of opportunities that, uh, and the Air Force kind of just, you know, grabbed me and, and leaving Shaw, I kind of had my mind made up, hey, I'm going to re-enlist and I'm going to stay as long as, you know, the Air Force allows me to stay. So moved on to Osan, uh, spent a year there with the O2 detachment. Uh, 
kept growing as a leader. I remember I got my first troop assigned to me, my first airman to supervise, and uh, it was a, a 26-year-old airman who had previously lost his line number to staff. Mm, no. <laughs> and as a 23-year-old staff sergeant coming in, they're like, wow, I got to coach this guy who's older than me. Um, mm. But it worked out. You know, we, we I kind of committed myself to being the, the supervisor, the leader that I wanted, you know, to follow. And I was pretty frank with him, pretty open. It was a dialogue, ongoing conversation in common and just noticed that I think what he was lacking in his time was nobody really took the time to, to coach him and to try to talk to him and have a, a relationship with him as a, as a supervisor or as a mentee, you know, et cetera. And pretty much stayed out of trouble that year he was there and, and eventually made staff sergeant again. But, you know, I took a little bit of pride in that, saying, hey, we got this guy back on the right track and we helped yeah. coach him. And we were honest and frank with him and we kept the dialogue going and we didn't try to just put him in a box and, and treat him like, you know, just, hey, you're just a name on a piece of paper that I have to write an EPR for. We, we kind of took the time to to connect and to the to help each other out. And I took the time to, I took it upon myself to make sure I, I coached them right and kept them out of trouble and to, took the time to invest in them. So things worked out uh, for the good. So I spent a year at Osan, moved on to Davis Mountain in, uh, in 2002. And I was actually at Davis Mountain for seven and a half years, close to eight years uh, before wow. I left. I got there as a young staff sergeant with hair, and, uh, <laughs> a lot of life as a 24, 25 year old staff sergeant. And I left there as a, as a bald, you know, salty first sergeant in, in, uh, in, 2000, in 2010. And, uh, a lot of growth took place, a lot of deployments out of Davis Mountain, a lot of TBYs. Uh, went over to Iraq in 2003 with the 810 package. Uh, uh, went to Afghanistan with our A-10 uh, team. I was assigned to the 354th uh, AMU maintenance, aircraft maintenance unit mm. uh, for three years. So a lot of deployments with them, TDYs, uh, spent time, you know, multiple trips to Afghanistan. Uh, my second time to Afghanistan was with the EC-130 package, uh, the EC-130 Compass Call mission. Mm. Uh, so a lot of deployments, a lot of TDYs. Uh, eventually got picked up for Master Sergeant in 2007. Uh, and about seven, eight months later, I was going off, uh, looking at becoming a first sergeant. Uh, so in the summer of uh, 2008, went off to the first sergeant academy. And uh, once again, I felt like my career got into a rocket ship and, and it just blew up ever since, just took off. Uh, multiple units uh, as a first sergeant at Davis Mountain, the 612 ACOMS, 612 DLC, opened my eyes to different mission sets, different perspectives, different leadership traits and, and styles. Uh, and moved on to Lodges Field in USAFE. And Lodges was another phenomenal opportunity for two years. Um, spent two years there. Met a lot of great people at Lodges Field that I still keep in touch with to this day. A lot of great leaders. I think by far um, one of the most influential leaders I ever come across was our wing commander there at Lodges Field, uh, Colonel Jose uh, Rivera, who in my mind is like a legendary type leader that just influences you, that makes an impact on you, that you can, can motivate you. Uh, to reach new heights. And to this day, I look back at our time at Lodges and I finally remember him and his approach to leadership. Humble, yet, you know, assertive at times, uh, but all about the people. Uh, he kept people first always. Mm. And, uh, it, and he could reach people in a way that I've seen very few wing commanders be able to do uh, by being humble, being approachable, but at the same time, firing, motivating when he needed to be. Uh, and I took a lot. It was like a leadership lab for those two years, right? It was mm. like you're watching a master work and you're taking notes and you're seeing how he can take a place like Lodges Field um, where it could feel like a sleepy hollow of the Air Force in the middle of the Atlantic, in the middle of nowhere. But he made you feel like Lodges Field was like the number one place 
in the Air Force. <laughs> and you feel like our mission is the best mission, uh, our installation is the best installation, and, and uh, we're the most important people in the Air Force inventory here at Lodges Field. Mm. He just brought that kind of charisma and enthusiasm uh, to his job, right? I have a picture of him that I, I think I saved that I always look at it, and, uh, and when you're looking for inspiration, you know, wow. and I use this term a lot, you know, humble yourself upon the, the opportunity presented over you. I read it in a book called Legacy. Uh, it's about the New Zealand All Blacks, but it talks about being humble before the opportunity in front of you and appreciating it and saving all your pride um, for the performance. Save all your pride and all the bravado uh, for the job in front of you and put it into that, you know, performing those tasks that are in front of you. I have a picture of him with uh, Secretary Donnelly at the time he was Secretary of the Air Force, SECAF, visiting Lodges Field. Um, and the way he just postured himself, to, you can just see the picture just exuded um, not only a, a humble and, and a, a quiet confidence, but like, uh, you know, this is the number one place in the Air Force, and we're proud to show off our team here. Mm. Uh, that's what comes to mind whenever I see that picture of him and Secretary Donnelly. Um, you can just see it. He was, proud of, he was proud of his team. The team was connected. We had synergy going all throughout the base, and it just made you, he just made you feel like it was the number one place to be in the Air Force. Uh, a quiet place in the middle of the Atlantic, right? I don't know if you've ever been to Lodges Field. I haven't, um, no. No, but it's it's a unique place, very scenic landscape. The people there are phenomenal. The Portuguese, not, you know, are, are great community there. They just, you know, great food, great scenic views. Yeah. Uh, but it can come across as a quiet place in the middle of the Atlantic that, you know, hey, nobody cares about this place. Well, that, you know, farther could be from the truth, you know. Um, and when you get there and you have a leader like him that makes you feel like, hey, this is an important mission we're executing here. And you guys are the number one, you know, thing we have going right now. Uh, it just, it changes you, right? It can yeah. motivate you to get out of bed, uh, et cetera. So I remember my time fondly at Lodges Field. A lot of great friends I still keep in touch with. Great mm -hmm. part of my leadership journey and part of my growth uh, as an airman. Uh, moved on from Lodges Field in 2012 to Lakenheath, which which I call the phenomenal base. The Liberty Wing is legendary, but it's a meat grinder, right? It, mm -hmm. You're busy. It's a very, very busy installation. A lot of ops, a lot of mission. Um, but coming off of being a first sergeant and transitioning back to being a material manager uh, as, a, as a young, you know, still a, a fairly young master sergeant, uh, made senior right shortly after getting to, uh, got picked up for senior shortly after getting to uh, Lakenheath. But uh, my time as a first sergeant, I think, prepared me for the ops temple at Lakenheath and the mission and the, and the hustle and bustle. But uh, it was a hard three years, to be blunt, to be really honest. It was a lot of work, a lot of uh, hours. Uh, we left Lake and Heath in 2015 uh, and moved on to uh, Langley for a year to work in the 45 star wing. But to be honest, I left Lake and Heath. I was pretty burnt out. Yeah. Um, really honest. A lot of hours uh, and stuff takes a toll on you. You don't realize till you leave how, mm -hmm. you know, you gain weight. You just right. retired. You know, I remember at one point I got kind of sick with a, with the lack of sunlight there, you know, vitamin D3 deficiency, I felt lethargic all the time and I wasn't taking care of myself to be really honest. I mean, it was rough, a lot of hours. Uh, uh, and we did a lot of great things there. We got a lot of things accomplished, you know, a lot of accolades, awards, you know, you know, Air Force level awards, MATCHCOM level accolades for the for the flight, uh, a lot of individual, you know, attaboys, pats on the back, et cetera. But at what price? Because I, I was burnt out, to be really honest, mm -hmm. when I left there. Um, now you mentioned adversity, and I'm kind of giving you a, a recap of career. You know, leaving Lake and Heath going to Langley was a blessing, but um, I look back at my time at Lake and Heath, and, and I'll share this with you. Um, and this is a story about overcoming things and setbacks, right? And we'll talk about setbacks. Um, leaving, uh, fixing to leave that place, 
it was my first time going up for promotion to chief. Uh, this is 2015 and uh, coming off, you know, uh, a wing level individual award uh, as the senior NCO of the year for that wing, coming off uh, an Air Force level accolade as the Lou Allen uh, logistics rating as senior NCO of the year, uh, and multiple matchcom level team accomplishments for our flight. As a flight chief, you know, I was blessed to have some phenomenal teammates there in that flight. We were best in the command one year, best in UCF Africa, you know, as, as far as material management. Uh, we did pretty well during our inspection you know our big logistics uh compliance whatever inspection they don't have those anymore but that was a big deal back then the lcap mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff we innovated some things we closed down some obsolete sections that and we found ways to just streamline processes and just put things into play uh that weren't being done before um and i remember being told prior to leaving they're like hey um stratifications are up you know senior stress the chief uh and you didn't make the cut. Basically, I didn't even make the cut. I hardly made the cut out of the squadron level going up mm. to the group. Mm. Um, and then I was told, basically, yeah, you, you only been a senior for, you know, two years. You only been in X amount of years. I think at the time, I only been in 18 years. They told me, basically, you know, you got plenty of time to make it still. You don't need a stratification. You don't need a strat. <laughs> mm. So no conversation about, hey, um, you need to work on X, Y, and Z. Maybe you're not mature enough. Maybe you're, you're missing the mark in these areas. Right. Um, basically these other candidates are stronger than you or just more ready than you are or more accomplished mm -hmm. it was more of a you were kind of an afterthought because you're still young uh, right uh, disappointing yes uh, mm -hmm. did it hurt yes especially when you're fixing to leave and you feel like man i, I feel like i just tapped out here yeah you know and uh and then you're being pretty much told wait your turn go sit in the back and, uh, and, and your day will come but not not here we have you haven't earned it here mm. Really tripped me out was they tried to tell me, well, these other people in front of you, this one individual has, uh, they got their their four year college degree done, their undergrad, their bachelor's degree done, and uh, and that really stood out. And I remember telling the person I was talking to, the chief, like, well, chief, if that was a factor, like, you guys noticed that I have my master's degree, like my MBA, and I got it <laughs> done three years ago, and I got it done three years ago in the middle of a first sergeant tour, and they were like, oh, so that told me right there that I wasn't really you never looked at. Yeah, I was never yeah. in scope, and I was like, okay, right. well, that tells me a lot about mm -hmm. what, what was going on here. But extremely disappointing, right? That's a setback. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it punched me in the face, it punched me right. in the gut. You know, my wife's home. You know, you sacrifice family, you sacrifice time, you you sacrifice sleep, uh, whatever. You you put all this into it, only to be told, yeah, you're still not good enough, or you're not, you know, you're not there yet. At least not in our opinion. Um, so leaving there, that was punch in the gut. And then on top of it, um, this is the same year the new EPR system came online. Uh, we refined our EPR system and we went to the, you know, the LCAC ratings, VC right. ratings. Mm -hmm. um, so that particular um, leadership team at the time, not at the squadron level, but at the level higher up, I want to say at the group level, decided that, well, if you don't enter a stratification, if you're not earning a stratification, you know, then you're not really truly among the best. So how could you have an LC rating on your report? Wow. Um, Etc. So, the commander wasn't happy. He happened to be my raider, and he would try to push back. But basically, they saw it as, yeah, we don't feel like if you want to close this thing out of the group level, we just don't see it the same way you do. Um, so it's going to have this rating on it. Uh, it wasn't pretty, to be honest. And mm. a lot of folks got caught up in that. So I leave there right. with an AC rating report, which isn't a bad report by any means. Um, but I'm looking back, saying, you know, that I really is that really what I earned, you know? My mm -hmm. raider didn't think so, but uh, 
powers of beat that it was. It, it just wasn't pretty. A lot of uncertainty, to be honest, in my career. I thought my career was gonna, I was gonna wrap it up at 20 years. I was gonna hit 20 years, mm-hmm. um, two years after leaving there, and I figured, you know, maybe I'll just wrap it up in 2017 and call it a career. Because um, I don't see a future. I don't see us, you know, being promoted to chief, you know, mm-hmm. um, anytime soon. Anyway, so left there with kind of a sour taste in my mouth, but I was, it is what it is. You know, I don't fault the leadership team at any level. Uh, they thought they were doing what was right. And right. leaders, you know, something I learned from one of my commanders used to say this, you know, readers have their, you know, leaders have the right to lead. You know, sometimes you know, you're not going to agree with things. Sometimes they're going to mess up. Sometimes they'll do things that are, you know, whatever, that are not, you know, that you don't see eye to eye with them on. But ultimately, they're in a leadership position. So it's their turn, you know to make decisions and to, mm. and to move out on things how they see fit. So I never held, I was never angry at anybody, to be honest. You know, wow. was I disappointed at the circumstance? Yeah. Was I, that I feel like, um, was I afraid or uncertain about the future? Yeah. I didn't know what was going to come out of it. And there's no shame in retiring, you know, at any rate, you know, as a senior master sergeant or as a, as a master, whatever, there's no shame in that. But, I just thought my door was going to be closed, you know, knowing right. what I thought I knew about emotions. I was figured, you know, my career, you know, this might be it for me. I don't think I don't see us being selected for chief master sergeant, not with this kind of EPR on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see it happening. And, uh, you know, get to Langley. Uh, I was assigned to the 485 ISR wing. It was a nice break working on the headquarters staff there and, and kind of doing the wit thing and being the logistics, you know, support superintendent, learning a new mission, Intel, ISR. Uh, it was just a different life, different pace, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a blessing because it got it got me time to get myself healthy again, to reconnect with my family. To uh, you know, you leave work at seventeen hundred hours, and you can't really talk about work at home because mm-hmm. it's all. <laughs> and uh, it was it was I, I welcome. I needed that. I mean, Lord knows I needed that. So I, I find myself being thankful every day for being there. You know, and that's it doesn't hurt you to go TDY to places like Hawaii to do inspections or. Mm-hmm. It's just learn a new mission. It kind of re got my juices flowing again, and it got me kind of re-energized. You know, something new, something different, something unique that I never get to. You know, the not a lot of folks get to work and work in ISR uh, Intel support for a logistician is something very unique. So I was thankful for that opportunity. But that year I spent in the ISR wing, it just opened a lot of doors for me. Opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, and about really six months into that tour. Uh, Chief results, you know, posting to come out. And I wasn't expecting to make chief, to be honest. I, I really thought, you know, I took my promotion test. Uh, I studied, but not as much as probably as I should have. Um, I didn't feel very confident going into that promotion test. And I didn't feel confident coming into the results time in, in December because of all the turbulence that had gone on, you know, prior to that with the whole EPR situation, with the changes in the Air Force at the time. I just didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, um, one day I'm at work, you know, late in the afternoon, and our branch chief comes and tells me, hey, uh, the wing commander's coming by here tomorrow morning with the command chief. Uh, first thing, they want to make sure you're going to be here. And I, <laughs> I wish he kind of would have told me, he kind of hinted at me, like, right. they never come over here. Unless they do they do make the rounds, but they never, like, announce it this way. They kind of just show up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to make sure that I was going to be in the office uh, <laughs> that morning. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't think too much of it, but I kind of like, maybe you're coming to tell me, good or bad news like hey you didn't make it sorry uh, or i don't know next day sure enough to show up to tell me like hey you've been selected for chief here it is this has happened and uh unreal um right i almost passed out like this is unreal like i did not see that coming i thought i was done you know 
I thought I was done, but regardless, I, you know, I showed up with a 480 and I, and I put a, a brave face on a, a good attitude. My job was to, you know, I, I committed myself to uh, not dwelling and what's happened and, and focusing in on the opportunity at hand, right? And influencing those people around me and, and just being a good senior NCO and a good influencer to those folks. Um, and coming in there those first, you know, six months, I was loving life. I, I was, you know, learning something new, meeting, you know, new people, connecting, trying to be a positive influence of that wing. Um, and then next thing you know, you know, I'm being told, hey, you got picked up for chief. Um, so it was shocking to say the least. Uh, humbling, unreal, unreal. And I kind of feel like a million to one odds and I happened to hit that one odd, you know, and mm. moving on a few days later, I get to look at my scores. Um, I looked at the line numbers and my standing amongst the people selected. I was the, the cutoff basically. Mm. I was, I think it was 15 picked up the year. I was number 15 out of 15. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I almost blew the chance, right? Uh, by not studying enough or prepping myself for that test, kind of mm -hmm. tapping out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just made it by the skin of my teeth. Um, my board score wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Um, I think the board took into consideration um, some of the, the, the stuff that was going on in the field with people, right. you know, because my base wasn't the only base that was doing those kind of things. They were mm -hmm. just, you know, other, other installations or other leadership teams were doing something similar with the EPRs. Um, so I think the board uh, took that into account. Well, I know they did because I think at uh, the time, uh, our chief master of the Air Force at the time was, was Chief Cody and, and the team up there got wind of it and kind of prepped them for, hey, you might see this, but keep in mind, look at the contents of the report. Mm -hmm. uh, but it worked out. Um, number 15 out of 15, right? Right. <laughs> uh, where, you know, and, and a bad attitude or, or if I had gone completely in the basement, you know, like Chief Wright used to say, go in the basement and kind of soak and kind yeah. of, you know, poo-poo everything, I would have. I would have missed that opportunity to, to get picked up for chief in, in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, so made it first time out the box, made it. I, didn't, I thought it was impossible. Uh, I really didn't think it was going to happen um, just based on how my, we've been conditioned to think, you know, if you have markdowns or if you have this out in your EPR, um, you have no shot at making chief, especially if you get him as a senior NCO. And I'm here to tell you that um, attitude and work ethic can make up for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So it worked out, um, got picked up for chief uh, at a Langley. So congratulations, but you're leaving us in, in six months here. In the following summer, I was gone. Um, got picked up for an assignment at Eglin Air Force Base. And uh, boy, I tell you, showing up to Eglin, uh, beautiful location, beautiful community. They love their military over there. Um, but it was a lot of work, uh, to be blunt, right? We show up there, the flight was a lot of turbulence in that flight and the particular opportunity I was assigned to. Um, it has some leadership teams that just were not effective to say the least, I guess, to put it, you know, nicely. And it's a lot of work to say the least. The, the flight I was coming into as a as their flight chief, as the, as the chief, you know, chair management chief, had a lot of turbulence to say the least, a lot of discord, processes, uh, morale, discipline, that needed a lot of help, needed a lot of work. Um, they had some leadership teams that were just not effective for the flight for what they needed at the time. One individual got removed at one point for disciplinary issues by the commander which was the right thing to do, just knowing what I know about the things that took place. Uh, but you're walking in there as the chief and everybody's looking at you as the, oh, we finally got a chief here. You're kind of a, they're counting on you to, to turn the title around, to stabilize the situation. Mm. Um, so those first um, three to six months were uh, a lot of hours, uh, a lot of work, but it was a welcome change from what I 
from what I gather from people from the feedback that, hey, we needed to get stable. We needed to get some discipline back in here. We needed to get, uh, show us a way, you know, give us some hope. And, and that's all they needed. I mean, what I, what I realized after getting there, they needed some direction. They needed coaching. They needed somebody to, to give them some things to, to feel good about. Um, so uh, those, it was a great opportunity, to be honest. I mean, it was a, kind of a blank canvas to paint on. Um, and by the time we left there in, in 2018, we completely turned that ship around. I felt like, you know, uh, with the team there, we built confidence in them. We got an influx of uh, new senior NCOs into the fold um, that were all about, you know, energy and, and leaving it better than they found it. And the ship got turned around. One of my fondest memories of Eglin, you know, being a, a, a flight chief there, uh, material management chief, um, was um, below the zone boards were, were a big thing. For me, they're a huge thing, right? Prepping our airmen for below, to meet a below the zone promotion board. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an airman uh, that everybody looked up to. Uh, I don't want to mention it. I'll keep her name. His, this airman, you know, everybody looked up to her, really sharp. Um, I met her a few times and interacted with her in the workplace, and I thought she was you know, a lot of potential here. I think we need to come up for BTZ. We could definitely, you know, coach her up and, and make her really competitive and, and polish up and get her ready to meet that board. And Eglin, they did a in-person boards at the time. You had to meet a, a board in person, a board of chiefs, in addition to doing a, a package, a 1206, a nomination form. Um, so leading up to the board, we're like, okay, what do we do here to, pre- to prep our airmen? I started asking the questions like, well, we just kind of write the package and let it ride, and we let the we kind of just give them some tips to meet a board right before. It's like, well, why don't we own it? Why don't we get our senior NCO cadre here, our, our section? We have multiple master sergeants here, seniors. Uh, let's prep this person leading up to that below the zone board. And three months out, we started prepping her. Having these mock boards, right? We have the senior NCOs come in, just like the board does, set up a mock board, you know, end the flight in a conference room, um, and let's prep them. It only takes an hour. Of preparation you know we do an hour a week you know leading up to this uh she's going to be ready by the time she meets that board so we started early um working on things where her 1206 where her package you know what are you doing off duty what are you doing on the job you know mm-hmm. are you capturing everything you're doing we got to start early so we prepped and prepped and prepped by the time she met that board the board was easier than the practice right because <laughs> we we had a snake pit going pretty much every time in the flight of, you know, boarding her, grilling her in uniform, service dress. We did the full gamut, you know, and it was everybody. It was every senior NCO had a hand in that. We, we kind of, we're growing our champ, we're grooming our, our champ, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you're training up for a fight and we went into the camp and we just trained, trained, and trained. <laughs> and, uh, and by the time she showed up for the below the zone board, um, her package was actually like, uh, I found that afterwards, like, you know, was really outside the cut line. It was like mm. second or third outside the cut line, outside the top nine. When she met that board, uh, she propelled up to like the top five. Wow. <laughs> or carrying that much weight. They looked around, they're like, you know, this this girl right here, she's she's ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, she pretty much, we pretty much willed her or, or fought her into, you know, the top five with the preparation. And it was, she did all the work. She did all the, you know, after hours and everything else, but we did our part as leadership right. to prep her for that board. Um, and here's the, here's the, here's the other piece that kind of blew them away. We showed up to meet the board. Um, I had my flight commander, my, my second lieutenant, myself, uh, the section chief, uh, her supervisor, all of us showed up in service dress blues along with her and her service dress. That's awesome. And I remember they, they met us outside like, wow, nobody ever does this. And she went in there and told the board like, Hey, she's here. And she's got like, 10 people here with her basically in service <laughs> dress. 
and uh, they were kind of taken aback. And our approach was, are we going to overwhelm them? We're going to overwhelm them with positivity and just mm-hmm. overwhelming force <laughs> yeah. to uh, to get their attention about this this nominee. And uh, she walked in there, met her board, extremely confident, just ready, polished, and uh, came out of there with a below the zone stripe. And uh, we told her before, hey, go get your stripe. It's yours. Just go get it. Mm-hmm. You know, the stage is yours. Go, you go, just go, go get it. Go close to the deal and get your stripe. You come out of there, a senior airman. Uh, that's a fond memory because it, it kind of that to me was the moment that kind of sparked the turnaround of that flight for that flight. Mm-hmm. You know, it went from being kind of like the bad news bears to you know an undefeated squad that nobody wanted to mess with. You know, it just yeah. kept rolling. The momentum just built from that. And quarterly annual awards, you know, you name it, our name was in. Our people were in it in the competition. We were bringing home awards. We were bringing home the accolades. We turn around the operations. We turn around the morale, and the attitude about the place. And it's just a bunch of little things we did just to turn the tide around, you know, from the simple potluck, you know, bringing in some food, setting up some video games once a quarter to, um, you know, flight outings, you name it. Uh, we just turned the tide around. Uh, but it took work. It took a commitment and it took everybody chipping in. But yeah, great time at Eglin and um, went off to a deployment at Bagram, came back in, in uh, the summer of 2018 and uh on my way back, I applied to serve as the UCAFF Africa Command First Sergeant, and uh, luckily got picked up. Uh, PCS from Eglin about two and a half months after coming back from my deployment, uh, and once again off to the races in the UCAFF. It was a great job, I and mean, I look back at my time as the Command First Sergeant. Uh, a lot of travel, a lot of opportunities, but a great community of uh, of just leaders there in UCAFF Africa. From the Command Chief team, phenomenal, uh, all you know, very humble, approachable leaders. Um, to the first starting community there, which I think is, you know, it was just phenomenal. This morning I was reminiscing about our time there. I was talking to a few of the folks that are still there and uh, it just kind of hits you now, hits you now looking back of how blessed uh, we were to, to be stationed there in Germany and you say mm-hmm. Africa and the team that we had. Um, and by the time I left, it felt small. I felt like it was, a, I felt small, right? I felt like it was, uh, we were so well connected that I felt like I can re-pick up the phone and talk to anybody in that command yeah you pretty much knew them and you feel like you were connected to them um, next thing you know i'm here and first child you know i interviewed for multiple jobs you talk about setbacks i can tell you some setbacks in, in this command chief you know candidate game right and yeah i interviewed for five jobs uh five different opportunities passed on me or, or just weren't a right match for us uh before I, I luckily got interviewed for this opportunity and it just kind of happened um where I knew uh, our current one commander here, Colonel Bentley, from my time at USAFE through my travels, I met him. Um, it was kind of almost like coincidence, like, hell, he's looking for a command chief. And, you know, I was in the candidate slate. And next thing you know, we're interviewing. He's like, yeah, I already know you. I heard a lot about you already. I met you when you were at Melvin Hall back in 2019, TDY. Uh, so the, the comfort level was already there. And we, we just clicked from day one, uh, from the minute we interviewed. Um, so the transition has been smooth in that realm with regards to having a wingman or and a supervisor, a boss that you that you're comfortable working with, and that you know a lot of similarities with him as far as our approach and our, our vision for leadership and for the wing here. So it's been a really good smooth transition from coming from you, safety to to Fairchild. All right, I know it's like a long recap of growing up and military experiences <laughs> and all that. No, it's and awesome. Probably, yeah, you, you probably had to cut a lot of this stuff, but <laughs> I give you a little bit of every stop. But the main thing is the main thing that we want to talk about today is setbacks, right? How they grow mm-hmm. you, how you can rebound. Um, one line I heard before that people think it might be cheesy, but uh, it's true. Um, 
things are going to happen along your personal life, your career that um, they're going to hit you hard and you can choose to let things define you and yeah. keep you down or you can choose to let them uh, refine you. Uh, and I heard that and it really stuck with me, you know, because you can let things make you better or you can let them pretty much drown you and, and keep you in the basement and just, you know, kind of shut you down. Um, so I mentioned multiple things, right? Coming into the Air Force, you know, first obstacle was like, hey, you didn't pass the ASVAB, dude. You got to go refire if you want to come into the Air Force. Uh, kind of embarrassing to a lot of people to say, but I don't mind. I have no shame in saying it. Like, hey, right. I, I wasn't academically, I wasn't focused in high school until my senior year where I decided, hey, I got to get I got to get some A's and B's here to, to finish, to graduate, um, but to apply myself hard. Um, I don't want to, you know, have to go to summer school or, or repeat my senior year of high school. Uh, got it done. Recommitted myself, pulled out, you know, like a B average most of the year in high school, my senior year, and got it done on time and, and moved on. But I was overall a C student in high school, right? I showed up, did what I had to do, and but I was just academic just wasn't. I wasn't an academic by any means. Um, came into the Air Force, I had to refire with the ASVAB. I could have easily walked away and said, oh, maybe the Air Force is not for me. Maybe I'll go talk to somebody else. Some other service will take me with a lower ASVAB score. But I committed myself to saying, you know, I want to do this, and this is something that's important to me. So I'm going to refire, focus myself, and, and get through this. And uh, it worked out, right? We got it done. Um, coming into Shaw, right? Um, could have recently, could have recently shut down uh, at Shaw and said, you know, this isn't for me. This Air Force. I'm over here in the middle of South Carolina. I don't, I don't feel comfortable in the environment here. You know, um, could easily go in the tank there too and say, you know, maybe I'll just do my four years and call it. But uh, I kept an open mind. Um, I kept thinking about the opportunities the Air Force was providing. I was going to college again. The Air Force was paying for most of it, 75% of it. Um, I was traveling. I was going on these different opportunities to travel throughout the U.S., overseas, et cetera. So I appreciated that and what it brought to me. And I decided then, you know, as a young staff sergeant selecting, you know, I'm going to re-enlist and I'm going to move on to another base and see more of the world and appreciate the Air Force and what it does for me. Um, Davis Mountain, you know, multiple deployments, a lot of time away from home from my wife uh, at the time. Um, but at the same time, I worked um, a lot of hours there. Um, I got exposed to a lot. You know, my time in Iraq in 2003, 2004, where I didn't realize how dangerous uh, Kirk Cook Air Base in Iraq was until I got back about a year or two years later when I went to some other deployments. And I didn't realize how, how dicey things were there at times. Um, a lot of a lot of challenges there, right? Um, you're in Iraq, you know. You're the ranking, you know. I was the ranking guy for my shop at the time as a young staff sergeant. I had to grow up pretty fast, you know, um, and learn some things and get going and develop, you know, in a hurry. Um, but challenges are everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. You can choose to uh, moan about them and complain, and you know, and point at the things that you don't have, or you can choose to leverage what you do have. Uh, to move yourself forward, uh, yeah. and every time every time you hit a wall, you can look back at where you started, and where you came from, and say, you know, I got through that, and I didn't come all the way here just to give up now. So, lean forward, persevere, get it done. Um, hey, hey, Goose, do you think yeah. um, this is a question I wanted to ask you? Like, so you were talking about some of the struggles that you had even growing up, you know, with your family, um, mostly a single mom household, much like myself, and 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 you immigrated in, and you know, there's a lot of challenges that come with that. Do you think yep. that the ability to be able to find a, you know, that the ability to appreciate things helped you 
be able to mold that con that that mindset of overcoming those setbacks and seeing them as opportunities or was that something that kind of came later i think it absolutely did right because you know we live in america and i think i always tell people you, you should go see some other places go mm -hmm. and you don't have to leave america right i remember spending a when i was in virginia our, mm -hmm. our local church there i was a, we were members of uh, we spent the night at a homeless shelter one night Mm. working homeless shelter helping helping out the, the shelter right make sure people were being taken care of um etc and just those little things to help you appreciate hey i have a bed to sleep in at night i have a job i have a steady i have an education that's paid for through, you know, through my service in the military right those little things just help you appreciate the things you have even more it's just magnify if you keep that all in perspective right mm -hmm. um living in america and and, and you know driving around and, and you don't suffer right now. We have people in the states suffering from power outages because of the cold. This winter storm right. in Texas. Um, that was an everyday thing where I grew up in the Dominican Republic. Power outages. Um, you, something happens to you, crime-wise. You call the police. You don't know. You know necessarily. At least when I was there, you didn't know if you were going to get, you know, honesty or corruption from law enforcement. <laughs> you know, right. you don't know what you're going right. to get. Um, and they just help you appreciate having a functioning society, having you know. Uh, running water, running electricity, all those little things you take for granted, you appreciate it. So I remember being deployed in places like Iraq or whatever, and, oh, we don't have running water today? Fine, I've been there, done it. Mm -hmm. um, we got through it, we found a way to get, we found a way to, to get through it and, and to get to yes in some way, shape, or form. So absolutely, growing up um, in, a, in, a, in a country like the Dominican Republic for part of your life, um, growing up in a single parent home where you're kind of having to take care of yourself and your brother and sister, because mm -hmm. mom's out working long hours to pay, you know, to pay rent, to make ends, to make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, you absolutely um, learn to kind of toughen up a little bit and to appreciate, appreciate what you do have um, and not to get too caught up in, in what we call first world problems. You right, know? right. Right. And that's what I was going to ask, because like a lot of the stuff that I wrote down as you're telling your story, I think, um, you know, a lot of stuff was being was setting you up for something else to be able to deal with something else. Right. And I think life is much right. like that. Right. It's like we're getting put in situations to prepare us for something we don't know that we need to be prepared for, because I was even looking um, when you're talking about the crucible you went through at Lake and Heath. Right. I mean, like at the time you're you're dealing with a lot of challenges at the work level, you know, it was just wearing you out. But then um, all the other adversity that you faced. But I feel like if you look forward, that kind of puts you in a good position to be able to deal with the challenges that you faced at Eglin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lake and Heath, and I, I kind of didn't mention this, but that flight was coming off. Um, and my predecessor did a really good job of, of uh, cleaning up. Uh, uh, he's retired chief now. Uh, Chief Ayers, Lee Ayers, mm -hmm. um, but he had a really tough road uh, when he got there, just cleaning up. They were coming off a failed inspection. They were coming off a lot of issues, disciplinary-wise, um, just a lot of cultural, you know, culture problems. That culture in the flight, as far as work ethic, as far as teamwork, as far as you name it. So he had a tough road when he got there, cleaning up, and kind of set the table for me to come in and take over his replacement. Um, and we still had challenges left, right? We still had some things to clean up. We dealt with some tough situations there. Uh, with discipline at the time, the Air Force was doing the, the cut, the, the the force reduction boards and all that. Right. Um, so a lot of challenges, right? We still had some 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 of the folks there that were just not, you know, team players that you know were not leading their people the right way. If you were to ask me, um, and we had to deal navigate through them and, and you know and bring in some discipline and accountability 
Um, but we, so there was some work there to be done, um, but we got it done. You know, we had inspections, we had, you know, a lot of things to navigate through, but we did a lot of winning on that flight, a lot of coaching, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, at times tough love, but a lot of laughing too, a lot of good times were, were had there. Uh, but it was a lot of work, man. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of hours were put in uh, at a maniacal pace uh, to get that place, you know, up to a higher level. And, yeah, it was tough. And, uh, yeah. and leaving there and going to Langley was a much needed, you know, break right. for me personally. I mean, I was, I look back at my pictures, man. I was really overweight. Right. I was burnt out. I mean, I looked like I hadn't slept in three years, to be honest, in two years. Right. The yeah, first four months there were nice coming off of being a first sergeant, but after those first four months <laughs> when I moved up, when I got moved up to being a flight chief and a senior job in a senior billet, uh, it was it was tough. Yeah, yeah, no, I because I, man, that just reminds me of um, of a little bit of my story because we have a lot of similarities growing up, latchkey children, you know, in a lot of ways, and I think that helped prepare me a lot. But even your story at Lake and Heath reminds me of my story when I was the operations flight superintendent for CE in um, Korea, yeah, Osan. And um, yeah. yeah, long hours, just getting crushed, you know, face punches left and right, you know, all day and, and dealing right. with a lot of that. And um, and it, it like you said, man, just like you, I, I was I looked in the mirror one day, you know, I was PCSing. I was like, man, where'd all this weight come from? You know, was yeah. like, I was like the weight came on. Um, I was just not in good shape. I was, you know, I used to be in good shape and I was running maybe only five minutes and I'm already getting winded. You know, those are, I realized, man, I didn't have a change. And then when I got to Spangdalem, there was a different challenge there. But I think that crucible that I went through at <laughs> helped prepare me to deal with the struggles Absolutely. that they were dealing with at Spangdalem, you know, and that was like not really a big issue anymore for me. Yeah, I mean, absolutely it does. And you have to appreciate, you know, that that challenge, those struggles, that hustle, you know, the grind. You have to appreciate and respect it. Um, and at the time, you know, I was like, yeah, what is this it? Is this what it's going to consist of here as a, as a senior? You know, if I ever make chief, is this going to be like nonstop? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you adapt and you learn. And, and, you know, I take better care of myself now, to say the least. Um, I know how to pace myself. I was talking to somebody the other day here, one of our right. young NCOs, and I was telling her, hey, Unless I have a meeting uh, prior to eight o'clock, you're not going to see me in here. I'm going to be in the gym. I'm going to take mm-hmm. care of myself. I'm going to make sure I get something in my stomach before I come in here. Right. Um, kind of laid off drinking. I was drinking coffee like a maniac back in those days. <laughs> I laid off over this past summer. I went kind of leaned myself off of coffee. I only I think I only have like one or two cups of coffee a week now. It's usually on the weekends. Mm. Um, I don't like to drink. You know, I just I kind of learned to take care of myself better. Um, and a lot of it has to do with that experience there at Lake and Heath, where I gained over 25 pounds. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was burnt out. I, I'll be brutally honest with you. I was pretty much done. If they would have allowed me to retire, you know, 18, 19 years in, I think I would have probably done it at the time. Right. Right. I was tapped out and, and I was just done. And I felt like it was such a punch in the face. Uh, the whole way with the, the EPR situation, the stratification, you know, no real feedback other than, hey, these guys have been in longer than you and they need it more than you. So go take Go sit in the back and wait your turn, basically. Um, it was disappointing, to say the least. You know, right. I would have probably respected or expected to get something better, like, hey, you need to work on X, Y, and Z. I would have respected that and said, all right, got it. Mm-hmm. I'll move out. <laughs> you know, But I didn't even get that. I, I got kind of go wait your turn. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, it, it felt like a kick. But looking back, you know, you don't do all these things. You don't help and coach and, and develop folks just chasing a, a, an accolade or a stripe or whatever. You do it for the right reasons. You do it because you care. Right. You do it because you get, you know, I get personal gratification on helping somebody get better mm-hmm. as a person, as a professional. Um, so looking back, you know, I wasn't necessarily angry. I was kind of like, okay, I, all this we did for the last three years, and this kind of feels like is. Uh, not appreciate it, but I got it. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just disappointed at the situation and, and uh, what I'm seeing here. Um, but you have to move on. You, you can't let that consume you because, uh, like, you know, and I keep quoting Chief Wright. He says a lot. You go in the basement and you just sit there and you're miserable, you're angry, and you, and you, and you keep feeding the bad wolf and you, and you keep, you know, you stay in that state of mind and nobody wins. You know, you don't win because it's consuming you and nobody's getting better around you because of that. So, yeah, I kind of left out there and moved on to Langley and, uh, and kept on doing good things and kept on, you know, committing myself to making whatever situation or opportunity I'm presented with. Right. Uh, keep making it, keep leaving it better than you found it and keep influencing people in a positive way. But absolutely, it prepared me. That crucible, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you would call it, that grinder, it absolutely prepped me for, for Eglin and even at Langley at times, you know, situ- you know, I felt like I was, you know, nothing really crazy there. It was a pretty smooth one year tour there but it preps you for down the road for Eglin for uh, situations that you know in my previous job and even situations here at Fairchild right uh, I'm more confident in my abilities that you know than I was before having for having gone through those things that I went through uh, at Lake and Heath yeah you know, you know what's the worst thing I too too about the whole basement thing and I love that analogy is you don't even know what opportunities you missed because you sat in the basement. Cause it's not like someone's coming by later on and being like, Hey, these are all things you could have had. You know what I mean? Like it's, you, you don't know. No, those yeah. things. <laughs> so you could just think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yep. You're absolutely right. Cause you know, and I always work on my, uh, body language, facial expressions. You know, I, I, I don't have a, my filter's not that big, right? So if I'm having a bad day, you people see it in my face. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a great day, people see it in my face. You know, I, I'm sorry, I just don't have a poker face at all. And that's something that I'm always working on. Um, but sometimes just body language, body language, how you present yourself, your demeanor, you know, those things uh, speak to people. And they might have something for you, like you said, an opportunity for you. But mm-hmm. you're too busy in the basement, you know, right. in, the, in the funk, you know, feeding the bad wolf. Um, and they won't even approach you with something because you just look like you're not having a good day or you're just constantly in that state of, uh, you know, in that funk. Uh, and they'll move on to somebody else or they'll approach somebody else for advice or et cetera. So, yeah, opportunities come and you miss out on them because you're, you're too busy worried about something that already happened, that's already gone, uh, and, and not focusing on the now and, and what's in front of you right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a challenge and it's hard. I mean, it is tough. Um, but it's, a, it's something that I'm always working on. Hey, focus on right here, right now. What are you doing for the team right here, right now? How are you going to make them better? And, right. uh, and, and where are you developing for the future? How are you making them uh, move on down the road? How are you influencing the people to your left and your right? Yeah. You know what I, I love about your story, though? Because you talk about how, you know, it was a gut punch that you had to deal with leaving Lake and Heath. And I think something that that we, we don't talk about enough is, hey, it's okay to have your moment too. Like, hey, like, <laughs> I mean, we don't want you to sit in the basement, but yeah, have your moment for a moment and reflect a little bit on what happened and how that made you feel. That way you can, you know, overcome it. Don't just bury it in, on the shelf either, you know? Yeah. I mean, no word of a lie. I mean, I came back and remember when all this was unfolding and I was, uh, I was upset, you know, I was, you know, to say the least. And, uh, kind of shaking my head like what the heck just happened here but uh, mm-hmm. 
I refuse though to uh, to let it linger too long and, right. and to be angry at people and to point fingers because I remember, you know, hey, you, whatever level you're in, you're in a position of leadership in some way, shape, or form, and you you'll do things as a leader that people look back on and. Uh, and second guess or Monday morning quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and, and so I'm like, well, I'm always constant of that. Like, I don't want to be the Monday morning quarterback that's pointing fingers and, and passing judgment on people and how they perform their jobs or their opportunities as leaders. Because um, just when you're doing that, somebody else is pointing at you and saying, hey, you messed this up when you were this opportunity, or, or you messed that up at you know at base X uh, when you when you were in the arena for say, right? Right. Right. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. So my biggest thing was, hey, it's already gone. That it's already happened. Um, you can choose to let it consume you for for months on end, or you can choose to move forward and focus on the opportunity at hand, uh, mm-hmm. and to let that whatever happened refine you and make you stronger and just make you better as a, as a person as a leader. Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done, though. I mean, I put it point blank <laughs> to you. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, though, we got to reflect and think, you know, we all have our crosses to bear at times and we got to think about it. That that experience really is there's probably some good that's going to come from that, you know, and you might not be able to see it, but it's, it's coming down the road. And and for me, it definitely came for you as well as for the people that you got to influence, because later on, I mean, you were developing what I call covenantal relationships with your teams you know, creating that family environment and, and and really helping a lot of people. And then you kind of put, like, I was thinking about that BTZ board, you know, you're, you're making them work harder to prepare than the actual, you know, the event. And I think that's always right. really important for us to do, but you kind of lived that because you were going through some, like Lake and the Heath was crushing you. And then you got, you were prepared for so many things later on because of it. And some things probably even came easier because people were freaking out and you're like, well, this isn't a big deal guys. I've, I've seen this like 17 times already now. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I can tell you what, my time, those four years as a tactical level first sergeant, you yeah. know, where you're dealing with a lot, you know, yeah. a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes. You're dealing with people, you know, you hear this a lot, you know, you, you deal with people at their best and at, and at their worst. Mm-hmm. And you deal with some of the finest people you're meeting in the Air Force and some of the people that, you know, are not the finest to say the least, right? Right. Uh, make decisions or the, uh, you know, that the bring things or attributes that you, they're not desired or, or, you know, or some people that are just superstars that influence you and, and you're just, you know, proud to serve with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of preps you for certain things, right? When it comes to dealing with discipline, when it comes to, you know, something as little as public speaking and communicating, right. mm-hmm. you get a four year, you know, degree in that as a first sergeant, right. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, be, having to be assertive at times and dealing with, you know, um, hard situations, you get a lot of practice and a lot of reps doing those things as a first sergeant. And, and that prepped me um, very well for the job at Lake and Heath. Uh, but even the things I went through at Lake and Heath, you know, uh, it prepped me for the opportunities, you know, down the road at Langley and at Eglin, really, to a max extent, where I feel like I've been there, done this. And by the way, I learned some things. We're going to make it even better here uh, mm-hmm. than we did at other locations uh, at Eglin. And, uh, I still look back on that flight. I still keep in touch with some, you know, see how they're doing. And uh, they're doing well to this day as far as I'm, I'm tracking. And, and it's awesome. good to see that you know, we had a hand in that, the team that was there at the time. And turning that ship around and just putting it in, in, a, in, a, in the right direction. Right. Um, even, you know, my time in USAFE was, uh, I was talking to somebody, uh, somebody was checking on me uh, this week, asking me how I was doing. I said, well, I felt like the, the previous job, prepped me extremely well for this job here at Fairchild, for this opportunity at Fairchild, you know, working with command chiefs behind the scenes, working, you know, at the MATCOM level, seeing how things are done on the headquarters staff, 
the travel, interacting with you know different mission sets throughout the command, first sergeants, chiefs, uh, airmen at large, um, it pressed you very well for this opportunity. Public speaking, a lot of it, uh, using platforms such as this one. Uh, so coming in here, I kind of had a pretty good idea what I was stepping into. Uh, and so far, you know, I don't want to speak too soon, but so far it's been great. I mean, um, I, I don't feel like I was unprepared for anything that I've seen thus far. Yeah. And again, I say that something else will come up tomorrow. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> uh, when I say that, I want to, you know, you got to stay humble and, and just, you know, but I felt like uh, the previous opportunities prepped me pretty well for this opportunity. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and I think, you know, I look back at my career and very similar. And I think, you know, there's times where at this point, when I look at the world through more of an, a grown man's eyes and adult eyes, you know, I look at it and think of those crucibles, you know, trying to trying to seek them out on purpose sometimes so that you can gain that experience where a lot of, you know, a lot of us are kind of looking to to find the comfort and the easy route and sometimes you got to force yourself to because it preps you to be able to bounce back from the adversity that you might face and kind of reminds me of one of my favorite marcus aurelius quotes if you can endure it if it's endurable endure it and stop complaining and and to me that's like my favorite that's my favorite quote because it's like yeah i have to tell myself that all the time too because there's times where you just run into something you're like why do i gotta deal with this right now and and a lot of it's because it's, it's yours to deal with right Right. And you can let it, you know, as, as cheesy as it sounds, you can let it define you or refine you, whatever that setback is. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to make a choice to let it, let it make you stronger. Um, uh, you can sit here and dwell on it. You can sit here and complain about it. You can sit here and point fingers and, and or you can choose to, uh, you know what, I'm going to get better because of this. I'm going to move forward. Um, and, and I mean, that's worked for me, at least, you know, right. my humble opinion. But, um, Something else, that, you know, and I had a good dialogue with this with our first sergeants. We had a, a discussion about appreciating the grind uh, mm-hmm. and the work behind the scenes. Um, we had a, like a virtual platform uh, a few months back prior to me leaving USAFE. And uh, we kind of have a society right now or a culture where, you know, nobody's posting on uh, on social media about, you know, the adversity, you know, whatever they're going through that's, that didn't go their way. You see right. pictures of things going right. You see this accolade, that award, that promotion, et cetera. Right. But nobody's going to go out of their way to say, hey, I just got passed up for promotion for the fifth time. Mm-hmm. Or I just I just had my sixth or fifth interview and I got another no, you know. Right. Um, or I just, you know, uh, this came up at work and, you know, we completely blew it and we missed an opportunity or we just, we missed the mark altogether. Um, so we kind of condition our brains and believe it or not, you're kind of subconscious, subconsciously, you're conditioning your, your mind to think that everything has to go right the first time. Mm-hmm. We have to make staff the first time. We have to make tech the first time. We have to make whatever first look. We have to get, you know, this quarterly award, you know, annual award. We have to do whatever that 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 it is. The thing is, we have to hit it, you know, or else we're not worthy of whatever. Um, and it's dangerous, to be honest. I mean, right. uh, I, I place a lot of value on people that have gone through some things. Mm-hmm. On, on senior NCOs, NCOs that have... Hey, have you gone through some things in life? You know, have you been fired from a job before? Have you gone through some challenges, adversity? Have you been passed over for promotion for an opportunity a few times? Yeah, you got to go through some things, right? Um, uh, and I place a lot of value on that because I know those people that they've gone through some things, they came back, they recovered, uh, and they're better for it. And, and I look for that. You know, how are they? How are they paying that forward? Are they honest right. with themselves? Are they honest with other people? Or are they still blaming somebody else for you know their their fault or, or something they've done? Uh, done wrong, et cetera, or are they owning it and are they moving out? Uh, so, I mean, me as a leader, I, I look for those those NCOs, those airmen, those senior NCOs that 
um, those teammates that that are willing to learn from their experiences, from from being passed over for whatever, or for being told no, and they bounce back and recovered. Uh, I think we need to value that more as leaders. If you weren't to ask me, um, right? Sometimes we get caught up in and just the shiny pennies, and, and we, we want to, you know, prop them up some more. But um, have they gone through some things in their career and their personal life? Uh, not saying that. The, I'm not, it's going to sound like I'm saying, well, if you've never gone through something that you're not worthy, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that sometimes we forget to to value, to put a, a more of a premium on on people that have gone through experiences, you know, challenges in your career or for, for personal life. Yeah, I kind of see it like credit. I mean, it's not we're not saying you're bad, but we don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we don't we don't know how you're going to deal with it later on. And if you yeah. just kind of had successes your whole life and you see it with some of these, maybe like if you watch MMA or any competition where they're uh, they've been undefeated and they've been kind of living this uh, this very blessed career so far. Right. It seems like. And then yeah. next thing you know, they get knocked out and then they get knocked out seven times after that because they just have never they don't know how to bounce back from that stuff. And and you see it a lot of times. And yeah, like like you said, it's not meaning that if you haven't been through something it doesn't mean that you're bad but we just don't know how you're going to deal with it and you know when I went overseas um, a couple assignments in a row then came back to um, back to CONUS I realized like you said the kind of that people complaining about the first world problems and they've never really experienced a lot of those things because they stayed at the same base for a long time and haven't gone on those deployments and stuff and you kind of you see it right you see it especially when um, when it hits the fan um, the decision making right. process and how to how to deal with it, like you, that's when you really see it come out. Right, we get conditioned, or you know, for lack of a better term, we kind of get spoiled sometimes mm-hmm. by how, yeah. how easy we might have it. Um, and, and it's kind of like you know, uh, Mike Tyson's uh, the, his philosophic take on it is, um, <laughs> hey, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right, right. <laughs> and, and that's the approach I take. Like you know, we all want to do great. We we have it all figured out, and then we get punched in the face with, hey guess what? You're not as great as you think you are, or at least in our opinion, you're not. So figure it out. And, uh, and then you got to regroup and, and reset and, uh, and figure it out and move out, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you can just go down for the count and call it a night. And uh, that's why I, I, sometimes, I, you know, I remember coaching this one airman. Um, she was doing extremely well, start off, you know, her, her, you know, she was, I think, two years into her career doing really well, you know, accolades, monthly awards, quarterly awards, tracking for on track for a below the zone promotion. And, Next thing you know, she she fails a PT test, mm. you know, and she doesn't look. You know, you look at her; she looks extremely fit. You know, young, energetic, and and couldn't figure out the setup portion. Was doing setups. Her form was all jacked up. Something happened, hit a wall, and, and it just fell the PT test. And I told her, you know, it's kind of like boxing. You just got punched in the face. Are you going to get up off the mat and keep swinging, reset, and keep fighting, or are you going to just lay there and, and hope, you know, and, and call it a night and pretty much lay down and, and lose the fight? Um, which one which way which way you want to go you know it's up to you we're here to root you on we're here to pick you back up and, and get you uh squared away and get you back in there but you know you got to own it you know and really it's a it's a 80 20 split you got 80 percent of it you got to get up off the mat uh and get up on your feet and keep swinging and we're going to root you on we're going to groom you and keep pushing you but uh and that's pretty much it. a lot of folks you know i come into contact with now they're when they get that face punch and they get knocked down um they kind of just want to go down for the count. Right. But a lot of folks, you know, I met somebody this week. I was talking to somebody that, like I was saying before, uh, prior to coming to the Air Force, you know, things were rough in, in their personal life. And, and now you see them in the Air Force, their crime and taken off. And uh, those are the success stories that I'm looking for, that I, that I root for, that I that I appreciate, that I want to share with people. And, and those are the kind of people that uh, 
that I draw inspiration for to the, from uh, to this day right now. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the people you want on your team. And it's not like, like we said, maybe you just need to go through those experiences, but you know, we talk about combat proven, you know, to be able to assault through some of the situations that you're going to face, um, you know, taking somebody who's not proven yet because they haven't dealt with stuff. It's risky, right? <laughs> it's risky right. and, and you'll, and you'll see it. And that's the, I think that's why it's important for us as leaders to, to find ways to put people in those opportunities to, I call them character building opportunities, you know, <laughs> you're testing them out because um, it could be something as simple as, Hey, you got passed over for a promotion. Are you still going to show up to the promotion release party to congratulate your peers? Or are you going to go home? <laughs> right. I mean, those are all opportunities to grow. Uh, are you going to go in the basement and soak? Right. Right. <laughs> right. <know>? Right. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, and I remember making cedar was a big, uh, challenge for me you know as a you know it took me four shots to make senior you know and to be brutally honest um my first time testing for senior i think i was 11 years in the air force right my second time i was 12 years in i missed it by 28 points you know and i had a pretty good board score as a first sergeant and i still you know missed it but looking back i was i can't say i was 100 percent ready from i haven't gone through enough yet right i didn't i didn't get i haven't been punched in the face a little bit you know enough yet i thought um so when i did make it i felt like hey the timing is, is just right i think it's is my time is I'm due, you know? Yeah. Um, so making senior, putting it on, you know, I feel like, Hey, I'm ready. You know, I've been through some losses, you know, it took me four shots to get here. It took me a lot of humbling and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt more ready to be honest, more confident in my abilities when I did put it on. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I do come across people that, um, they get promoted. Great. You congratulate them. But you, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering how they, have they been through enough? Are they like, are they seasoned enough for this opportunity? You know, how are they going to do? Are they going to be learning on the fly, basically, as, uh, you know, whatever that grade is, you know, staff, tech, masters, you know, senior chief, you know, are they going to have to learn on the fly and kind of suffer through some things and, and struggles? Uh, uh, but a lot of folks, you know, you come across that, you know, they've been through the, in the trenches, they've been through the fights, and you're 100% confident in their abilities when they put on that strike. They're already performing at that level. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Absolutely, man. This is a great convo, man. I loved it. I loved hearing your story. I loved how we were able to tie it to adversity, brother. I really appreciate you coming on, Goose. No worries. I appreciate the opportunity. But uh, like I said before, I think we sometimes we lose focus and, and, and we lose appreciation for those people that gone through some things that they have what I call some stank on them, right? Yeah, yeah. Stank on them where they've they gone through some things. They've been through some stuff. They messed up. They, they, done, they recovered. They've done good. Uh, and gotten back on track and you got to appreciate those folks no knock on people that you know had the what i call you know that cruise through and they mm-hmm. excel their whole career and i've seen plenty of people that do that and they're phenomenal leaders and they're proven um but, but we, we need to uh, i always look for those folks that you know they got some time under their belt they've gone through some things they can relate to people uh, who are you know struggling or, or going through situations and they can coach them and make them better yeah i put a premium on those on those stories and those, and those individuals yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, I was a young uh, tech tech sergeant, made it pretty quick. And um, I had a math sergeant tell me, he's like, man, you're just a little too clean. Right. And I didn't really know what he yeah. meant. Right. I didn't know <laughs> what he meant until a little bit later on when I started getting crushed. I was like, and then I look back and I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> I know exactly what yeah, you're you talking about. 
You got to get some stank on you, man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I got plenty now. <laughs> yeah, so I remember coming up, you know, and, and I was fortunate, you know, I got picked up for staff pretty quickly, three years in, and mm-hmm. I got picked up for tech seven years in. And I remember I used to look, you know, and I'll be brutally honest, I used to look down upon some people like, oh, it's taking you five, six years to make staff, or right. you've been in there for you know, 14 years, and you just now made tech. Like, what's wrong with you? Right. Um, life will humble you. Things will humble you. And, you, and I look back saying, you know, what an idiot I was. Right. <laughs> you know, you got to appreciate those folks and you got to respect them. And, and by the way, you got to, you know, lean on them and pick their brains because they've been through some things that, you know, obviously they dealt with some adversity, um, you know, and you got to appreciate and respect those, those individuals and, and share the stories and bring them into the fold and, and pick their brains and, uh, you know, lean on them as much as you can. Uh, there's a lot to be learned, right? A lot to be learned from that experience and going through those things. Everybody has a story. You know? Right. So pick their mind, pick their brains, learn their story, and uh, appreciate them. Yeah. What uh, you, don't what, look down on folks. Yeah. What you described to me is like exactly what I talk about when I'm saying that, um, you know, until not even maybe four four years ago, I was probably still looking at the world through child eyes, you know, and it's, you know, yeah. th- looking at it like that, you know, looking at things like that. And then you look now you're looking at the world through adult grown man eyes and you're like, oh, yeah, I was a jerk. I, I didn't have it figured out. Oh, I, I responded yeah. incorrectly back then, you know, and um, really and, yeah. and you don't get those. You don't get that when you hit 18. <laughs> I didn't get it when I yeah. hit 30. You know, I, I, it took a while for me yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, right. You look, you, you know, looking upon down upon people. That's not, you know, the only time you should be doing this when you're helping them out, basically. Right. <laughs> like the saints. Right. You know. But um, you got to go through some things and you appreciate and respect those folks even more. Um, mm-hmm. Right. As you go through, if you navigate through whether it's life or whether it's personal, professional life, et cetera, um, you go through some things and you respect and appreciate and you're more empathetic through, through you know, to people and their situations and their journey. Um, but for a long time, yeah, I think we kind of do it. Society kind of does it to us to an extent, you know, mm-hmm. social media, everything else. Was, like, nobody's on Instagram posting about their terrible day at work or, or being right. laid off, et cetera. Very few people are if they are out there. Yeah. Um, we kind of condition our brain to think everything has to be perfect all the time. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, every promotion has to come first time. Mm-hmm. Every quarter, every every year, I should be in competition or winning uh, some kind of accolade. Uh, that's not always going to be the case. Right. Um, so we got to prep ourselves for, okay, if, if it doesn't go our way or how well, we think it should go, then how are we going to recover? How are we going to bounce back? How are we going to get better from that, through that? Yeah, 100%, bro. All right, man. Before we wrap this up, though, I got to I gotta hit you with the leadership rapid fire. Man, just four, four random questions, bro. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. First question, and these questions are, you know, however you want to interpret them and however you want to answer them, all right? All right. Copy that. All right. First question. What is your favorite leadership trait and why? Uh, I say humility, right? The leader does willing to um, make it about the we versus the me. Hmm. Uh, with humility, you know, it also goes into just being real with people and being approachable. Um, you know, you come across people that are, you know, you talk to them and you see them and you're wondering, are they, is this really them? Is this really who they are? You know, are they candid? Are they, are they, are they humble enough to, uh, to be approachable, to just, you know, be real and not to make it about them all the time. Uh, so just being humble uh, and, and at the same time being approachable and real, to me, that, that goes a long way. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite quote? Uh, I have plenty. Um, I'm trying to think of one here. I mean, I, and I keep a lot of uh, Roosevelt stuff here, but it's a long quote, but uh, it's from the, the Citizen in the Republic uh, mm. speech. Uh, 
but basically it's not the critic who counts. It's that, that individual in the arena. And I keep it here behind my desk. Mm. Um, I put the camera on here. I don't know if you can see it behind me. I keep the yeah. big poster right here. Um, and it's not the career that counts, right? It's easy to be that Monday morning quarterback and sit there on the sideline pointing the finger, but it's that individual in that arena, whatever that arena may be, um, getting after it, living out, you know, you know their passion, their dream, uh, their pursuit, their journey. Uh, that's who counts. That person in there doing it, living it, and uh, executing. Not that individual on the sideline pointing the finger, pointing out the, how they fall or failed, et cetera. Uh, so it's not the career who counts. It's that individual in the arena, the man in the arena. Absolutely. All right, brother. All right. Question number three, what is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? Um, one of my favorite books and the, and I used it for my previous job. It was kind of my mantra and my, uh, the thing I leaned on in my previous role in USAFF Africa. And part of it, a lot of it has to do in my job now, I still looking for, for inspiration. It's called legacy by James Kerr. And uh, it's a quick read. It's about the New Zealand, uh, all blacks, uh, rugby team. And some of the principles that they've utilized to just dominate in the world of uh, uh, world rugby. I don't know if you know the All Blacks, but they're mm-hmm. oh, yeah. pretty much the, the meanest, the baddest, the the show nuns of the rugby business. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it talks about how the team, their culture, they establish expectations. Um, uh, how they focus on culture, character, um, just picking great people who happen to be who happen to be great rugby players, and that's how they win. Basically, they pursue good people who are team centered. Um, we're all about the, the we and not the me, uh, and that's how they achieve goals. Um, so, and, and I, I keep it here at my office, and I still, you know, I resort to it now and then to to, uh, to kind of get refocused at times and to look for inspiration. Um, you know, a lot of little gems in here about you know taking you know cleaning up up to yourself. Uh, talks about how the all blacks they sweep their own shits. They, they they take care of their own locker room cleanup. They don't have people come in and do it for them. You take mm-hmm. care of yourself. Take care of your business. Nobody cleans up after you. Nobody looks up. You know, and has to clean up whatever's left behind. Uh, I mentioned balancing pride with humility. Um, absolute pride in performance, but humble yourself before the opportunity at hand. So I never look down upon an opportunity, um, and that's something that I always keep in mind. Like I appreciate the opportunity you have right now. You know, I'm here at Fairchild right now, and this is my number one focus: is this mission, this base, these airmen. Uh, and establishing, uh, creating, and refining the culture here that people want to be a part of. So uh, humble yourself before the opportunity and save all the pride and the bravado for the performance, for the, the task at hand. That's awesome. All right. Final question, brother. So at the Lama Lounge, we're all about life, learning, and leadership. So how does Goose find his harmony between life, learning, and leadership? So, uh, I mean... Uh, Reading is a, is a thing, you know, that I like to do as far as, you know, refining myself as a leader, a lot of reading, a lot of audiobooks, audibles and all that, and taking some time just to, to focus in and kind of meditate a little bit. Um, between that and fitness, uh, so I keep myself balanced. Um, life, you know, my family is everything uh, to me. My wife, um, Brandy, you know, coming up on uh, 23 or actually you know, 19 years of marriage. I say 23. We know each other for about that long, but... 19 years of marriage, uh, our, our three kids at home, you know, my 11, you know, nine and eight year old, um, keep us pretty busy, but, uh, being connected with them and, and making time when I'm at home to focus on them, um, is a big priority keeping myself connected and, and just being a good, a good husband and a good dad. That's uh, a big focus area. Um, what was the last piece? I focused oh. on life and leadership. Oh, life learning <laughs> and leadership. Yep. Life learning and leadership. Yep. yep. Yeah, so I kind of hit on learning, you know, the audibles and the, the yeah. books are a big thing for me and just um, feeding my brain with something positive or something new. Um, 
it's a constant learning never stops you know college piece you know I accomplished more than I ever thought I could or would as a college student you know I got my MBA done but learning never stops I'm always looking for you know all the ways of learning whether it's books audibles whether it's doing certification courses you know I'm always looking to learn I'm always looking to pay that forward in um, leadership you know like I mentioned before um, it's about the team. It's about the we. It's what about you know? What am I bringing to the team to make it better? What am I leaving? What am I bringing here to leave it better than I found it? Um, and it's about being humble and approachable, and about understanding that you're not here to get served. You're here to serve. Um, so that's my big philosophy. I'm here to to leave it better than I found it, and to serve the team and to to work for them. Uh, and it's about the we and not about the me. <laughs> I say that yeah. often. That's awesome. That's what's up, brother. I appreciate you swinging by, man. And we got to do this again one of these days. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Sorry if I rambled a little bit. Oh, it's all good. Um, a long recap of my career. But uh, but anytime, brother, anytime. I'm always here. I mean, next time we can talk about some of the stuff behind the scenes uh, in this Comanche for all that, you know, yeah. I kind of knew about coming in the seat. But now that <laughs> I'm here, maybe a few months down the road, you know, once I'm a few more months into the job, I can talk some more about what it's been like here behind the scenes and about the process of ending up as a command chief, which uh, when I was in your shoes, when I was, you know, squadron level, flight level chief, I thought I knew what it, you know, what it took, but, uh, or how it works, but not until you get into that roller coasters, you know, that's when you learn what, how, how things really are, um, how things work. But uh, we can talk about all those things, whatever it is we're going to talk about, but uh, yeah. I'm always going to be here. I, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I look forward to, to chatting again. Yeah, bro. And probably next time we'll be in the same time zone. So it'll be it'll be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, you heading back this summer or spring. I'll be back in the spring. Yep. So, yeah. So hopefully you have good weather, I'm sure, in California. And hopefully COVID calms down and you could have businesses open over there and you can have some some kind of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, and all that in Cali. But uh, I look forward to it and uh, I appreciate the opportunity again. And I'm really just humbled that you asked me to come on and join you. Hopefully I didn't mumble too much or, or put people to sleep here. No, no, you did great. You did great, bro. I appreciate you. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in once again. As always, be safe, stay healthy. Llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.